All right, welcome back um, to the podcast. This is Clayton Vance with Timeless Homes. Today we are going to be discussing an interesting topic, authenticity. We all use the term, but we don't, do we really like understand its significance and or consequences as we use it? We use it most often when we're trying to describe something um, in architecture that represents its historical, uh, uh, or not its, but a historical precedent. And it's the the piece of architecture's kind of conformity to both the building methods, techniques, technologies, and um, overall aesthetic ends. The more that conforms, the more authentic it is in terms of a historical um, kind of application of the term. When we are doing contemporary houses or houses just today that we want to be authentically this or authentically that, that's what we're trying to achieve. But because we don't use the same construction methods and everything, it's it's impossible to be completely authentic. And so the the problem and the goal and the issue is, okay, how on earth do we actually achieve some sort of timeless architecture while not being completely authentic? And do we need to be completely authentic? Do we, uh, wh- wh- how does this fit into all of it? Because honestly, we hate fake stuff. We hate fake news. We hate fake people. We hate fake experiences. We don't like fake stuff, except for, I mean, we don't like fake food either, right? We, we train ourselves to like it because it's convenient, efficient, and easy at McDonald's, blah, blah, blah. But it's, they tell us it's cows. It's not really cows. It's whatever it is. But, but, but a lot of us, most of us really, we're, we're tired of, of, of things being fed to us that aren't actually real, that aren't authentic, that aren't um, the thing that it's purporting to be. So, so how do we deal with that? I, I, I have a story to start this off with that I find I, I, describes things in a way that, uh, um, that I hadn't really completely experienced before. So we're driving through because, because let, let me start it this way. I, I've been to Disneyland. Disneyland's awesome, right? You go, you know exactly what you're getting into. It's an amusement park. It's an awesome amusement park. And so what do they do in this awesome amusement park? They create little vignettes, little um, little mini cities within villages within Disneyland that are supposed to be some sort of authentic representation of that little vignette. So like New Orleans, like, oh man, that feels a lot like New Orleans. That's pretty cool. Um, the beignets are honestly better in Disneyland than they are in New Orleans. Sorry, New Orleans. I just went to New Orleans recently, and I was actually somewhat disheartened by how... Disneyland's beignets were better. That just seemed wrong to me. Come on, New Orleans, pick up your game. Um, and so the, uh, you know, in the jungle, they created a jungle. You, you, know, you know you're not in the Amazon, but they try to make it feel like you're in the Amazon. But what you do when you go to these places is what you're suspending your disbelief, right? And so you're going in with the intent to suspend your disbelief so you can have an enjoyable entertainment experience. Whereas when you go into a town or village, the thing in which you live, you, what you're trying to search for is some sort of level of authenticity, some some sort of reality. You want to be grounded in reality and not be living this fake life. You want to be living a real life, an engaged life. And and when um, 
you're surrounded by so many fake things. You're searching for something that's real, something that's authentic, something that's you, right? So recently I went on a cruise to Alaska. And on this cruise, one of our first stops was a little village called Skagway. If you've ever been on a cruise down Alaska to go see Glacier Bay and and all these other places, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, go look it up online. It's this tiny little mining village that was settled in the 1800s sometime and had a had a deep water port so they could bring ships in. And so that's why they settled it and had a train that just went up the mountain and came back down, a tiny little mining village that uh, eventually just did the same thing every mining village did, just became a ghost town. And, and it was that way with, I don't know how many residents, but very, very few residents until, interestingly, the cruise lines got involved. I was told all this by our bus driver. So I went on this, on a big family uh, cruise, or I went on a cruise with a, my, my in-laws, which is a fairly large family. And there were 25 of us, 23 of us, 24. I don't know how many, but a lot. And we all, so we had our own little tour bus and tour guide. We're wandering around and we're driving through this town. And I'm looking at this town like, wow, this is a really vibrant, cool downtown. It's, it's, it's fantastic. This is, it's just like Park City. I live close to Park City, Utah. It's awesome in Park City. And it feels, it has that same sort of old school mining vibe. Uh, same sort of architectural uh, vibe that Park City has. Loved it. And the same right between mountains and and you could just just feel the that 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 texture and the character and and the old culture that would have been there um but what what you don't realize is that this town was more or less revitalized by the cruise industry because they're bringing in thousands of people on a daily basis in the summertime and so when you have a population of 400 that then grows to 900 and fluctuates between 600 and 900, and then some of your residents are temporary, then what do you do in order to make a port in the village? And then somehow it all got revitalized and it turns into this, um, this village that no locals actually own the shops that are there. And it's a town dedicated to the tourists. When the tourists disappear, after the tourist season ends, the shops all close up and there's more or less nothing left but the 600 to 900 people who can't keep all those shops open because there's 600 shops. <laughs> and and so when, when the bus driver is telling us this, my brother-in-law turns to me and he says, kind of with this puzzled look on his face, it's all fake? You mean this is all just fake? And it's weird because I had I had the same sort of reaction as I was as we were on this tour also. But I, I didn't say it, but I do appreciate my brother-in-law saying it. And so what I'm experiencing is something that, you know, kind of similar to the whole Park City thing that I experience pretty frequently. And, and I don't go to Park City and think to myself, oh, this is fake. If anyone's ever been to Park City, you don't go there and think, oh, this is some fake historic mining town. You know, like, no, this is awesome. How many restaurants and, and, and uh, art galleries and this old historic Main Street and everything else. It's like, okay, this is, this is the real deal. It's cool. I mean, just like all the places in Colorado, Breckenridge, and um, all those old mining towns that are now ski resort towns. And they're there also for entertainment and amusement. But, 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 that's a, we'll get there. Um, 
what I want to talk about right now is this idea of, is it fake? Okay. So it's fake, not authentic. But is it? Um, I'll tell you what Skagway was. When looking at the buildings, when experiencing what there was to experience in Skagway, what there was was, was an architecture and, and a consistency of, of architecture that reinforced the narrative of the town as a historical mining town. So the proportions of the buildings, what were they like? They were all historically authentic. They, and I'm going to use that word because they were historic. They were proportioned correctly. The windows were proportioned correctly. The order of the facades was correctly. How the buildings related to each other was as it would have been. Um, and as it could be today. And as it was today. Um, and the proportions of the details, they were all correct. The proportions of um, the streets and everything else, very authentic, very real. And if that bus driver would not have told me that this was just a tourist town and closes up after all the tourists are gone, I would not have known that this thing was not a vibrant town. I wouldn't have known it because that architecture told me a narrative that made me believe it. And one of the primary reasons it made me believe it was because of the material that the buildings were actually made out of. They were all wood, all natural wood. And because it wasn't any plastic or vinyl or composite or aluminum siding, and it wasn't some man-made engineered thing, but it was a natural wood, it reinforced the vitality and the character of the village and the town and reinforced that level of so-called authenticity or historical authenticity. So even though in terms of an economic, uh, kind of the economic fundamental part of the town, that was that was more or less fake and was just a tourist town the architectural narrative that was being told was something that was very authentic it was sure a stage it was a set piece but you felt like you were there you know walking on boardwalks rather than sidewalks concrete sidewalks or walking on boardwalks it was really cool um but then let's go back to the comparison to disneyland so disneyland we know we're going in a suspension of disbelief. That's what we're trying to do. We want to go be entertained, and so we go to be entertained. What's Disneyland made out of? Concrete to make look like other things. And man, I remember when when I went to Disneyland went with a, once again my a brother-in-law, a different brother-in-law. We went with his kids, my kids, and had a grand time. And we just kept like picking apart the architecture because he's a builder and had a had a fun time doing that. And it, it, it like blew my mind how good these guys were at making concrete look like other stuff. I mean, these look these really looked like timber beams. You couldn't tell the difference that that was a concrete beam that was made to look like timber. Totally fooled me until you could touch it. And then once you could touch it and you're like, whoa, 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 the texture's different. Man, it was it was a real good fake beam. And did that offend me? No, because I went in with a suspension of disbelief, fully recognizing that this whole thing was fake. But it was there for the purpose of just entertainment. And so I didn't care. Um, and I was impressed with what these craftsmen could do with concrete and foam and paper mache and who knows what else, plastic and fiberglass and any other material that they used to construct Disneyland. Um, and, and movie guys and set designers 
know that and they know how to make these these really cool representations and but we go in when we participate in these things understanding and recognizing that that's what we're participating in so we're not like offended by it or have a feel like a punch in the gut when someone says oh this is just a straight up tourist town you're like oh crap you mean this is all just fake you don't have that reaction because you know what you're getting into so let's look at one more thing authentic not authentic and and we'll get to some more theory in a second big box stores walmart costco home depot lowe's best buy all the you know all of your standard big box stores We, we have to address it because they're all around us and we continue to build them. That is our economy and our world in which we live. And we keep doing it because it's how the system is right now. But I think it, it's weird because each, each town tries to set up design guidelines and various things to prove to, to prov- to get these big box things to make their buildings slightly less ugly. And that brings us into the crux of our conversation. Is authenticity the ultimate aim that architecture should be aiming for? Think about that. Is authenticity the ultimate aim? I don't know if any of you have ever heard the word telos before. Some of you have, some of you haven't. Um, But it's more or less the ultimate object of pursuit, the ultimate aim, the the ends, the ultimate ends that something, um, person and or thing has. Um, And architecture has, can have a telos. It's ultimate end and an ultimate aim because the design of it, the physical, the physical results of the design, um, are a physical representation of the fundamental principles that the architect and or designer kind of espouses. And so if the architect or designer espouses and and uh, more importantly the 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 patron, the one who is financing the thing believes that authenticity is the ultimate ends then we have a problem because of big box stores. Big box stores have no pretense. They aren't trying to pretend to be anything other than what they are. It's a giant warehouse. It's a giant concrete block square warehouse where you can go pick up all your crap. It's where I go. It's where we all go. And that's doesn't it's not pretending to be anything other than that an economical efficient way to distribute goods to people in its most efficient way possible and as as we begin to decorate these things to pretend they're something other than just a giant big box they're becoming more and more fake right that's not as authentic real authenticity is a big box store just being a straight up big ugly box that we go in and get our stuff but is that what we should be pursuing I mean, think about it this way. If if I'm a jerk, a complete a-hole, just a bad dude, and the desires of my heart are, like, bad, should be should I be authentic? If I want to go around and be angry and bitter and hate everyone and resentful and murder people, should I be authentic to that? If authenticity is my ultimate aims, 
Should I be authentic? No, that's completely idiotic. If on the flip side, I have good desires to be good and all that type of stuff, should I be authentic to those? Or should I be fake and do what's ever trending, whatever will make me popular, whatever is in vogue and in style right now, or try to be the avant-garde or whatever, the next cool thing? This introduces a really, really big dilemma in our modern world. Because what's bad and what's good? Who defines that? We are ever increasingly living in a world of relativism and we, we, have entered a, we have entered a time where this idea of beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that type of relativism, um, or it's like, welcome to the modern world, everybody. Do you, do you really like what we're living in? Do, do you really like our suburbs that we're developing? Do you really like them in 20 years? Do you really like the development? Is that the legacy you want to leave? Because that's what you're taught in architecture school today is that authenticity is the ultimate ends and beauty is relative. And so there's never a discussion about that because it's relative. But that's what we're about. And, and okay, so, so here at Timeless Homes, you know, we called it Timeless Homes to be PC so we don't offend everyone right at the get-go. But essentially what we're talking about is the historical stuff that made every single traditional city, town, home, everything, the stuff that resonates within us that we find beautiful. And, it, and it, why does it resonate within us? Because it's a part of us. It's a part of all of us. Whether, regardless of the culture we're part of, if we go to Asia and we some, see some of those old ancient um, temples in Asia, um, Angkor Wat and the the um, the gardens in in Japan, uh, India. No matter where you go, these 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 ancient traditions had some sort of cultural narrative that they were promoting. Some sort of cultural narrative that was is an essential characteristic of their um, entire system that produced an architecture that reinforced that narrative and that architecture was necessarily a um a result of the overall values of the common values of that particular society and in western culture western society aristotle i think put it i think it was aristotle said goodness beauty and truth and there was this kind of general idea of here's what goodness beauty and truth is and those things have evolved and changed over time, but it was fairly consistent for thousands of years of what being a good person was or uh, what beauty was. Over the last 200 years, as we threw all that, flushed it all down the toilet, we flushed it really far down the toilet and, and accepted that beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. And, and that is incredibly problematic because now all of us are authentic, but oh my heavens, Look at the results that we've produced because of fully endorsing and accepting that philosophy. And since that is the philosophy, authenticity is the ultimate aim rather than beauty is the ultimate aim, 
that's what we get in architecture because that's what's taught in architecture schools. And so if you're wondering, that's why. I have a very fascinating quote from, from Thomas Jefferson that I want to uh, read if I can find it here. And it has to do with, uh, I, I, yeah, let me read it and then I'll talk about it. It says, state a moral, moral case to a plowman and a professor. The farmer will decide it as well and often better than the latter because he has not been led astray by artificial rules. It's like, that's interesting. So if you say, okay, state a, a case of beauty, a case for beauty um, to a plowman and a professor, the plowman, the farmer will decide it right most of the time because he's not been led astray by artificial rules. Alaska taught this to me recently because the experience every single person has who goes and sees these glaciers in Glacier Bay or those mountains that you can see in Alaska. Um, even though I live among some pretty cool mountains myself, it is just awe-inspiring. Um, Edmund Burke, a philosopher century and a half ago, talked about the sublime and the beautiful, and this sublime being that which inspires the sense of, of awe and wonder and where you feel so small and tiny in relationship to nature that it just almost crushes you um, because of its... It's, it's power and that's and that's how you feel up there so small and and everyone I mean I don't I don't know how you don't feel that way you'd have to be not human to not like look at that landscape and think to yourself that is beautiful and it's that is essence, it's that essential characteristic that we here at Timeless Homes are trying to teach in an architectural sense. What are those principles, elements that created an architecture that elicits that same sort of response from us as human beings that is worthy of architecture to leave to future generations. And who cares if it's just a set piece, if it's a stage set? After all, Shakespeare said, all the world is a stage. And that stage is setting up a particular narrative that we are trying to communicate. And that narrative communicates a particular set of values that we have as a society. And right now, what I see that we've done is we have replaced the values of goodness, beauty, and truth with efficiency, economy, and convenience. And that's what a big box store is all about, and it is authentically that. And so authenticity, in the end, is not the ultimate aims that we should be pursuing. If you're trying to achieve some sort of historical likeness, authenticity is a very good descriptor, and... and um, I guess methodology in terms of how to approach and approach your design project. But what what we're about here is what brings that sense of awe and beauty that elicit that response within mankind to want to preserve and value those um, architectural set pieces that communicated those values in times past. And how can we more or less have another renaissance and collectively choose 
because it has to be our choice. The economics of the matter are so strong that we as a people have to desire and want more. And I'm not talking about more in terms of square footage. I'm talking about more in terms of um, a better application of design principles to achieve beautiful, beautiful houses and beautiful architecture. And that, I think, is it for today. Authenticity and architecture and where it's problematic in its usage and where we're going to be going with all of this. So until next time, this is Clayton Vance signing off. Till next time.